As we prepare to hear from God's word for our lives today, I wanna to take a moment to introduce a friend and colleague who will be preaching for us this morning. Reverend Laura Murphy is here today. She'll tell you a little bit more about herself, but she currently uh, works for the Missouri United Methodist Foundation. She'll talk a little bit about what that is, but prior to that, she um, has, is a pastor, has been a pastor serving churches uh, both on the Kansas side of the state line, but uh, mostly in Missouri as well. We actually, uh, we go back a ways because we served the same church in Springfield, Missouri, just not at the same time. So we have pastored some of the same people. Uh, she has connections here at Platwood. Some of you may already know her or be connected to her in many different ways, um, but she's a gifted storyteller, and she's been working with, um, with our congregation and our generosity team over the last year. We have a group of folks forming that team to help us here at Platwoods um, cultivate a culture of generosity. And through that work and her leadership with us, I have learned so much about um, taking care of of my stuff and how to be a good steward of the resources I have been entrusted. And so I wanted you all to have a chance um, to hear from her as well. Also, it's just girl power in the room this morning. So, you know, how often do you get two girl preachers in the room at the same time? So um, we're just delighted to have Laura here. Again, she'll share a little bit more about herself today, but I hope you'll join me in welcoming her this morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Evie, for that introduction this morning, and it is nice and joy to be here with you. Um, I have Pastor Gashlin United Methodist Church, which is just down the road from you folks, and that's when my husband and I fell in love with the Northland. And now we, after being in Springfield and coming back to work for the foundation, I could live anywhere in the state, and we chose the Northland, and we love where we live. Um, in fact, I live in the house of another Platwoods member who was <laughs> the all my connections here. Um, but I represent your Missouri United Methodist Foundation. And many people have no idea that you even have a Missouri United Methodist Foundation, but we do a variety of things with churches and individuals. Um, one of the things that we do is we help churches live in to their mission. We do that in a variety of ways with a variety of resources, but often that is with financial resources and means. We give out about a quarter million dollars a year in ministry grants to all the churches across the state. We um, help churches um, manage their funds and their endowments. Your um, endowments and funds are invested with us. Um, you folks have been a longtime friend of the foundation and we appreciate it. But I also have the opportunity as the director of development to also work with folks in legacy gifts and helping people um, really dream about what kind of legacy would they like to leave behind. And I believe that's not usually always a financial thing, although often it is, but really it's how we tell our story after, um, that can live on long after we are here on earth. One of the things that my favorite things to do in my work is I provide a workshop called Putting Your House in Order. And I am offering that here today at noon. And then I know I'm up against something this afternoon. What was it? Oh, let's see, the confirmation meeting. Oh, and the Chiefs game, yes, yes. So um, if you can't make it with us today, I'll be back again on Saturday, November 4th, and we can gather then, and I, you'll learn more about um, the things you need to do to put your house in order in a more intense way. Um, for example, uh, how did you get your wills and estates together? Um, what to do in case you're incapacitated, and what kind of information do you need to leave behind for family members? 
um, how to organize um, what we leave behind after we're gone and let that memory live on and how we um, want our last service um, to be celebrated. So um, I'm realized that everybody can be at that. So today, you're lucky. I'm going to give you a little chat, a little pep talk about putting your house in order. And that'll give you a sample of what I do in the workshop, as well as hopefully get you thinking about what it would be like to put your own house in order or help somebody. You may have a parent, a child, a friend, a neighbor, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who is struggling. And as I share information today, I hope you'll be able to share some nuggets with them or in your own life. But in that Putting Your House in Order workshop, I often ask people, who would you expect to hear these words from? So you ready? Who would you expect to say, you need to put your house in order? Now, inevitably, in every workshop that I do, somebody ends up saying, my mother. <laughs> and I get it. Because I've been preaching about putting your house in order long before I was a preacher. Just ask my three children. I have three children that are all now in their early 30s, and um, our conversations about putting their house in order was around getting their rooms cleaned, as you can imagine. And it would look something like this. Every night in that chaos of bath time and getting ready for bed, and from the time they were small up until they were in high school, I would say, you've got a choice tonight. You can do a two-minute cleanup, get through your room, and put away as much as you can in two minutes to make it look tidy, or you can just let it sit and we can get it Sunday, Saturday with a getter done day. The getter done day. Do you guys have those for Saturday? You got a whole lot of chores you got to do. You can put it off till Saturday, but then we're going to have a big job to do. Almost inevitably, two of them would say, I'll wait till Saturday. And one of them would say, run around to get everything cleaned up. Did I mention I happen to have two boys and a girl? This has a lot more to say about probably their personalities and their gender, but um, that was often the way it is. But eventually, they all started to figure it out. And there was a lot of times that they would say, I'm gonna do the quick cleanup, because if I do that quick cleanup, I have more time later. And I think this is true for all of us, all across the board, when it comes to putting our house in order, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, we can work at it a little bit every day. But if we don't, it piles up, and pretty soon we have to face a big cleanup. You can feel free to amen me there if you need to. In fact, amen me anywhere you'd like. But back to that question of who would you expect to tell us that we need to put our house in order? I often hear other things too, like financial, and um, financial and insurance advisors, they might say, you need to get things together. Put your house in order. We got to get this cleaned up. Attorneys will often say, you need to put your house in order and get your will and estate plan put together. But sometimes, we, well, we know, we dread having a medical person tell us we have to put our house in order. Because we know when a medical person says that in the doctor's office or in the hospital, they're saying you don't have much time left. 
You've got to get this done. Get your affairs together. Put your house in order. But what if I told you the very first record we have of somebody telling someone to put their house in order goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's there in 2 Kings chapter 20 that um, the prophet Isaiah is there and the prophet interprets what God wants them to understand and tell a person what God wants um, said. So it's here in 2 Kings chapter 20. I wanna share with you the first couple of verses. It says, in those days, Hezekiah, and he's King Hezekiah, became sick and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, came to him and said, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, because you shall not recover. So think about this. The king is in a position of fear. I think he's being told that he was sick and his time is running short. That's why he has to get his house in order, get things in place, have those conversations, think about how you will take care of everything you've acquired and how it can be a blessing to someone else. I think that's what we all fear the most is having somebody tell us that needs to be done. But you know, King Hezekiah is human, and he does exactly what I think each and every one of us would do. He cries out, and he pleads with God. We hear that in the second verse where it says, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the, to the Lord. He said, remember now, O Lord, I implore you, now I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So here he is calling out. And in that he is upset. He says, I have been good and my heart is breaking. Well, my heart breaks for King Hezekiah as well. But the good news is even in our misery, God works. And it's in his misery, King Hezekiah finds out exactly what kind of gracious and merciful God we have. Because we see in the next verse of, chapter, of verse four, it says, before Isaiah had even gotten out of the middle court, so he hasn't even really left King Hezekiah's compound, the word of the Lord came to him. He heard God speak. God said, turn back. And say to Hezekiah, prince of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears indeed. I will heal you. On the third day, you should go to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 more years to your life. Wow. Isn't that what we all hope for? That's what we pray for. And look what we have heard. We've heard that the king was sick. We've heard that he pleads out to God knowing his time is coming near and he weeps bitterly, but God heard his prayer and God says, okay, go, but put your house in order, right? So what should King Hezekiah do? Put his house in order, right? 
But remember, he's human. Guess what he did? He was going to wait for a get-or-done day. He wasn't going to do a two-minute cleanup, was he? He went into life, and I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase of the scripture. I hope you go back and read the whole thing, because if you do, you read on and you learn that the people hear that King Hezekiah had been sick, but he is healed. And so they all want to come and visit. They come and see him, and King Hezekiah is overjoyed. He's alive. He's been given a second chance. And it says in that scripture then that he opened his storehouses to the people. In other words, he opened up his financial records and showed people what he had. He walked them by all his gold and his silver and his prized possessions and everything that he had acquired because he's feeling blessed and he wanted to show it off. But the bad news is, not everybody that came to see King Hezekiah had King Hezekiah's best interest at heart. Because some of those folks that came, they were figuring out how can they make his things their, their things. In today's world, I would say he would, people were scamming him. They were scammers. But depending on what verse of the Bible or what version of the Bible you look at, this is what it says that I just love. He opened his treasures to the enemy's camp. He opened his treasures to the enemy's camp. And when he did this, he made chaos of his household. And as you read on in that chapter, it ends with us learning that it changed his legacy. And if we go back into that scripture, we also learn that King Hezekiah kind of had a false sense of security. He had a false sense of peace, thinking everything was going to be okay because God had granted him extra time. I can just see him. Hey, life is good. Oh, it's wonderful. I've been blessed. I can put off getting things in order in my house for a while. I'll do it just before I die. Folks, how many times do we think, we'll just get it done before we die? Do any of us know when we're going to die? He's lost his sense of urgency to do what God has told him to do, to take care of himself, to take care of his family, to put that house in order. And as a result, in that last chapter, we learn that, in those last verses of that chapter, we learn that he dies with very little to show for it and very little to bless the generations after him. Now, even though that scripture happened thousands of years ago, I still see things in there that we can apply today and that we can learn from that story. For example, I find it interesting that most of us, like King Hezekiah, we put off doing what we can do just to make life easier for us now, especially for our families. We put it off. We put off things that can give us peace, things that can set us up for success, and above all, that can keep us from opening our treasures to the enemy. Let's stop there for a minute. Who is our enemy that we might be opening our treasure up to? Yeah, today they're scammers all over the place, people who want our riches. And if we are not careful, we open up our riches to them. 
But there's also other enemies like high bank and attorney fees that we have to pay when we have to get somebody to help us untangle a legal or financial mess. The IRS could even be our enemy when we don't understand tax implications. The enemy can even just simply be interest that continues to grow on the debts that we owe. And the enemy can certainly be a creditor knocking at our door. And unfortunately, our enemy can even sometimes be our family and our friends. Somebody who is not looking out for the best, our best interests because they don't know our wishes. And maybe also they have their own agenda. So knowing this, no matter what age or stage you are in life, whether you are in your 20s or if you're in your 80s, it doesn't matter. There's always this time where we need to tidy up our house, allowing us to more fully care for what has been given to us and bless those around us. After all, we really don't want to be like King Hezekiah, who went about life with this false sense of security, thinking, oh, nothing's going to happen to us or our money or our future. So if we want to get our houses tidy up, I think a good place to start is if we take a look at our own understanding, the use of, and the emotions around money. After all, Jesus talked about money. Roughly 15% of his preaching was around money, and 11 out of the 39 parables have conversations about money. This makes money one of Jesus' most talk, talked about topics. Why do you think he did that? I think he did it because he knows we're going to struggle with money. Every generation will struggle with it, whether it is in coin or cash or it's on a card. It's what we manage. And I think Jesus knew that we would all have different emotions around money that all of us would grow up with a different perspective of what money can do for us and to us. This is very personal for me and my husband. We were some of those people that in our 20s and 30s, we didn't really have a plan of what to do with our money. And when you don't have a plan, your money ends up running you, right? And that's what kind of happened to us. We were making lots of money, but we weren't really planning where to put it and how to manage it. Until I had a pastor, I was a lay person at the time, I had a pastor at my church say, hey, there's this new program coming out called Financial Peace University. Would you and your husband like to teach it? My husband and I thought, well, nobody else is offering it for us to learn. We might as well teach it because we'll learn. Our aha moment in all of this came is when we were at spring break and he's sitting by the pool of this all-inclusive resort that we're staying in and we're reading, he's reading the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace book and as he's reading that and the kids are playing and we're ordering cocktails, we're sitting there, he closes the book and he comes to me and he goes, we gotta get out of here. We gotta pack up, we are in the wrong place. We are on the wrong path. We went back and three weeks later started teaching that Financial Peace University class. I have taught it since then through the foundation. And now we have a great program called Saving Grace. And uh, it's another program we offer through churches. But in that workshop, my husband and I started to take a hold of our finances. We started to figure things out. Now, mind you, we were teaching it on cassette tapes. 
that's how long this was, our cassette v VHS tapes. And as we've done that, though, individually and together, we are tackling our understanding of money. We're figuring out what money can do and how it can be used as a blessing to not only ourselves, but how it can be a blessing to others. Last night, we were out to dinner celebrating our, 20, excuse me, our 34th wedding anniversary, and there was another couple that we just were getting so tickled, a young couple watching them, and they went over and over and over and over that menu because the prices, I think, were a little higher than what they were expecting. And we were able to say to our waiter, can we pay for theirs as well? And bless them, because we're in a spot now we can do that. But for some folks, when we work with them individually or in groups, I learned that people want to bless people through college funds, to set aside money for their own children to go to school or their grandchildren. And I love it when I find somebody who goes beyond that and says, I want to set up a scholarship fund for children I don't even know. What a blessing. Some people say, I want to help others with my money because I want to figure out how to retire and retire in a way that I can live near my children and grandchildren and be a blessing to them. Or so that I can go work that fun job I've always wanted to work that can, you know, for a nonprofit. Or I can volunteer on a regular basis. Other people say, hey, I want to figure out with my money how I can bless my alma mater with a planned gift. Or my church with a planned gift or somebody else, someplace else that is near and dear to their hearts. And then, of course, those conversations of people that want to leave a legacy gift that goes on for years after they have um, left this earth. And I really hope that my husband and I encourage people in a way that is a reminder that making short-term sacrifices with our money can, in the long run, create a beautiful blessing for everyone involved. And so part of figuring out what money means to all of us, it also means we need to be intentional about what we're acquiring. You know, we all have stuff. I know you have stuff. You know how I know that? Because you have closets and garages and basements and storage units and second homes, right? We like our stuff. And stuff can be a good thing until it becomes too much stuff that we're spending too much money on to buy and to maintain. Our stuff can overtake us. And stuff keeps us from focusing on what's important. And we have to kind of how to figure out how to dis, you know, create a new order of our lives when we have too much stuff. And we can do that with three simple questions. Whenever we go to make a purchase, we can go, do I really need this? You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've gone, well, I actually probably know it just was going to be good to have. Do I really need it? Whether it's another coffee mug in your house or if it's another car or anything in between, do I really need this? Or do I need more of this? Because you probably already have something like that at home. Do I need more? Can I be content with what I have and make what I have work? And the third question is, if you are going to buy it, what can I clean out if I bring this into my house? Jesus told the parable of the farmer who kept building bigger and bigger barns to fill them with his stuff. 
Like King Hezekiah, that farmer was filled with a false sense of security that everything was going to be okay as long as I have my stuff. This man dies with all his barns full and his eyes intently focused on his stuff and not on the things that Jesus teaches us that are important in life. And remember, Jesus teaches us it's about relationships and being with people and loving and caring for our neighbor. It doesn't say anything more about how much stuff. And in that parable about the farmer, <laughs> what I think just adds insult to injury and all that, not only did he die with his eyes focused on his stuff, he left his stuff for someone else to have to clean out. Have any of you in the room had to clean out somebody's house after they passed away? We greatly downsized when we moved to the Northland. We live in a townhouse, and we live small, and we majorly cleaned out. And every time we work about how we're going to live small like this, I look at my children and I say, you're welcome, <laughs> because I know what that's like. But this leads me to my next suggestion. I think we all need to be in conversation with others about our wishes and our plans. I learned this very early in my 30s. My husband and I were living in Olathe, and some of our neighbors and friends who had kids the same ages of ours were Matt and Kathy. And we were aware that Matt and Kathy were having a conversation around an, an insurance policy. Her husband had taken out a rather large life insurance policy on himself, and it really bothered Kathy to even have a conversation about that insurance policy. And it bothered her to even think that, why would we even need it when we could use those funds for every other things right now in our life? It just made her uncomfortable. But Matt made his wishes clear to Kathy. He told her, if anything happens to me, I want you and our kids to know that I did everything I could to care for you, that I had a plan. And again, she would often brush this off, but he was adamant. And you know, within a year, that couple learned very quickly how fast life can change and how important those conversations are. Matt was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and even though they thought they could get it when they would operate it, he had a stroke. And despite gallant efforts by the doctors, Matt passed away a day after that surgery. And here was Kathy with a second grader, a kindergartner, and a preschooler. And she had no family around her. They lived in another state. And in the struggles of her grieving, though, I remember she and I were at lunch one day, and she says, I was mad at Matt for taking out that life insurance policy because I didn't want to think about what could happen. But Matt knew how to take care of his family. And Kathy said, now I'm allowed to make decisions very differently. Kathy decided to move to Indiana to, um, she found a gorgeous home because now money was not an issue. It was actually a million-dollar life insurance policy. And she said, I've, I can live how I need to live with our kids. I could live near family. And she said that home was just a center of peace for her. She spent a lot of time outside. It was on the edge of one of the greens. And there was a young greenskeeper who kept coming over and talking to her when she'd be outside. Come to find out he had lost his wife as well. Has a happy ending. 
Two years later, they were married and combined their families together. Kathy is always grateful that Matt took care of her, never knowing what the future was gonna bring, but it gave her the space to make decisions differently than if she'd had to go back to work or was short on funds. Now, thinking about all that can be pretty heavy. So there might be a very simple way to step into putting your house in order, and a great place to start is with what I call putting together a love box. Now, it can be a box or a folder or a bag or whatever it is. It's a file, something that you have. And this is where, whether you're single or a couple, whether you are young or if you're old, you put together things like passwords to your computers. Because right now, my husband is the one that does most of our banking, and he's the one that remembers all those passwords. And I say, but if something happens to you, how am I going to get in there? whether he is in the hospital for a short period of time or something more tragic happens. And so in that love box, he has put the passwords to everything that I need to know. When our kids were younger, he said, well, I need you to put in the love box the vaccination charts of all the kids because I'm not gonna know where to go look at those things. If something happened to you, that's the stuff you keep track of. He says, I also need a list of all of our friends, like our address book in there, because you keep track of those kind of things. See how it's a love gift to either one of us? In that love box, you can also put other things in there, such as your important documents, life insurance plans, or even a list of where people can go find those documents. You've got special pets, it's really nice to put in there who's the vet and what their vaccinations were, things like that. Anything that's important in your life that you surround with love that could help somebody else take care of your life and your loved ones, put it in that box. Because I also think you should include a will. Did you know that at this point in time, the statistics say that nearly 50% of our nation does not have a will? And yet a will is the way that we can let somebody know how much we love them. By putting things in order, by saying, this is what I want done with my finances. This is the gifts that I want to leave behind. These are the things that were important to me, and I want to leave them in a way that is done well for the next generation. You can learn a lot about that kind of idea around those wills and estates at that putting your house in order workshop but it begins with that love box, just simply thinking, what will somebody else need if I am not here? Because folks, it's natural human behavior to put off tending to the financial, legal, and even the practical matters of our lives. So whether you are in your 20s, or if you're in your 80s, or either end beyond that of the other end of the spectrum, Having your house in order can set you up for a true sense of peace, a true sense of security that it can allow you to live your life more fully, and it can keep the enemy out of your treasures. Now, not for a minute do I think I am a prophet coming to tell you to put your house in order, but I am here as a daughter as a wife, as a sister, as a pastor, and as a representative from your foundation to tell you that I have seen too many people squander the opportunities God has given them to do something, thought, do some thoughtful planning that can change the trajectory of where their life 
is headed. Well, we think that procrastination can really, you know, just alleviate some anxiety. I don't know about you, but I have found out that it simply postpones the struggles. If you want to alleviate anxiety, especially around the money and your things and your stuff, you need to set aside some time. And you need to ask somebody who can help you put your house in order. Because I've learned that when people do this, it opens up beautiful conversations in their families, in their communities. It allows people to live with that sense of peace that transcends through every decision that they make after that point in time. I believe that putting your house in order is a blessing to those around you today, as well as the next generation and generations after that. Putting your house in order can set you up to faithfully, boldly, beautifully live out the life that God has called you to live and making us all good and faithful stewards. And with that, we can all say, Amen. Would you pray with me? God, I am grateful for every story in this room that people have of their lives and how money has impacted them, how organization has or has not impacted them, how they have homes and, and things and life that they want to live fully. And God, we pray that your provision will be bountiful and that by the work of your Holy Spirit, It'll become something that is um, a quest for all of us that we can easily move through with that provision ahead of us, that all of us can live into a way of um, being good stewards of everything you've given us and that we can share more of it with others, just as Jesus taught us to love our neighbor and to care for them. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.